Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. As some of you may know, the United States Supreme Court issued a very important decision at the end of June regarding religious accommodations. And I wanna talk to you about that case and let you know a little bit about what you should be doing as a result, all right? So first thing I want you to know is remember the US Supreme Court generally handles federal cases, right? So this is a case that was filed under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Now, many of you probably know that if you have 15 or more employees under Title VII, you have to provide reasonable accommodation to employees with sincerely held religious beliefs, practices, or observances that would conflict with whatever work requirement you're imposing. So this issue came up a lot when we were looking at mandatory vaccination policies for COVID-19, right? And the only way out of providing that reasonable accommodation is if it would result in or create an undue hardship for the employer. Now, California law under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, we have a very similar standard. And one of the things that we've always said in California, based on the interpretation of the Fair Employment and Housing Act, is that it's a pretty low standard when we're talking about undue hardship for religious accommodation. It's a much higher standard when we're talking about medical accommodation. All right. Well, that is no longer true because with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Groff versus DeJoy, we have a much different standard now throughout the country, including in California. So here's what happened. Way back in 1977, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a ruling where they said in the context of reasonable accommodation for religious beliefs, Undue hardship occurs when an accommodation requires the employer to bear what the court called more than a de minimis cost. Now, you've heard the term de minimis before with respect to wage hour issues. And remember, federal law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, says you don't have to pay an employee for de minimis work, something that was just a minute or two here or there. California law does not say that. California law is very specific that any millisecond that you are requiring somebody to work or they are under your control, right, or you are permitting them to work must be paid every millisecond, nanosecond, all right? Now, of course, if you're rounding, you may have some different practices there if you're rounding the time, but we're not going to talk about that today. We've, we've had some recent developments on rounding that make rounding even more dangerous than it used to be. So we'll talk about that at some point. But in Groff versus DeJoy, the U.S. Supreme Court looked at that precedent from 1977 and said, well, is that right? Is it that it just has to be more than a de minimis cost? Here are the facts briefly. Gerald Groff he worked for the United States Postal Service, and he observed the Sabbath every Sunday. 
Now, when he first started working for the post office, he was he was able to avoid working Sundays. But as the post office got busier in this rural area where he lived, the demand for Sunday shifts increased. And they told him he needed to start working some Sundays. He refused. The post office took corrective action against him. And ultimately, he quit and said, you know what? I'm going to sue you under Title VII because I don't think you provided me an appropriate religious accommodation. Now, the post office said, wait a minute. We, we can't give you every Sunday off. First of all, lots of people want Sundays off. And if we give you Sundays off, it's going to create a morale problem for us. It's going to create scheduling problems. And no one's going to like the boss. The Postal Service referred that as um, resentment toward management. They also said that we had a situation in the past where we had an employee who was forced to work Sunday shifts. They filed a union grievance and they said, hey, wait a minute, why do I have to work Sunday shifts when Groff doesn't? That violates our memorandum of understanding. Okay. So you can see where this is going. So this case gets litigated. It ends up before the third district court of appeals. Okay. And, and that court said, we agree with the post office. This is way more than a de minimis burden. And that was the precedent, remember, from 1977. Groff says, hey, wait a minute. I don't think that makes sense, this de minimis argument. Undue hardship is more than de minimis. Undue hardship, that phrase, suggests that the employer has to incur much more than a de minimis cost. It has to be something significant or burdensome before Congress wants to excuse them from providing an accommodation. And Groff said, listen, this argument I'm making is a lot more consistent with how the courts have looked at undue hardship under the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is obviously also a federal law. His basic premise was, look, if you let them get out of accommodating me by just showing a de minimis burden, nobody's ever going to accommodate anybody. And in fact, if you look at the case law, Groff had a point. A lot of religious accommodation cases were thrown out because the employer was able to establish a de minimis burden or cost. So what happened? What did the U.S. Supreme Court do? Now, obviously, the Supreme Court has been a huge topic of conversation lately, and I have purposely not weighed in on that discussion. And I'm not talking about every U.S. Supreme Court case that has been issued. But I want to talk about this one because it has direct and practical implications. What the court said was, you know what? It's got to be more than de minimis. We agree with Groff here. It's not enough to show undue hardship to just say there was a little extra cost. It's got to be a substantial increased cost. Justice Alito wrote that majority opinion. And Justice Alito said, look, courts are going to look at this and they should take into account, you know, what accommodation did the person ask for? How practical is it, uh, especially considering the size of the employer, the operating costs of the employer? And the court, what's called vacated and remanded this case back to the lower courts and said, we want you to apply a new standard. We don't want you to just keep applying this de minimis standard. Now, that's a big change, and it's different than what California 
talks about. So this burden that you're going to be thinking about for undue hardship is going to be more in line with what we're looking at on the medical front, whether it's an ADA issue uh, under the Americans with Disabilities Act or under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. So there are a couple things you need to do. First of all, you got to train your people. Make sure your HR team knows the standard has changed. Okay, this is the U.S. Supreme Court. So this rule applies to everybody. All right. And we want to make sure that, that they're saying that at least under Title VII, the standard has changed. And if that standard is higher than the California standard, which it is, we're going to have to follow the federal standard. So we're expecting to see a number of increased accommodation requests because of this case. Make sure you look at your policies, your practices, your training materials, anything you have that mentions how you're going to analyze a religious accommodation case. And make sure you don't talk about de minimis. Make sure that you actually incorporate religion into what you're already doing on the medical side, because chances are you've already got the right rubric or the right standard on the medical side, definitely more than de minimis, substantial but you're going to need to incorporate the religious accommodations there so that it doesn't appear that the religious accommodations are subject to a lower standard. Also remember, you've got to engage in the interactive process. So when somebody asks for an accommodation, you've got to sit down with them. You can ask for information in writing if you want to, but you're going to treat this person like they are your favorite employee. If you deny an accommodation request, you're going to explain why in very clear reasoning. It shouldn't be cursory, no go, can't do it, sorry. You're going to have to explain it. And obviously the documentation is going to be critical because when you're looking at why you did what you did, that documentation is going to be vital. Also remember that if you grant an accommodation, it's not necessarily going to be forever, right? So you want to make sure that you are checking in with the employee regularly. Does the accommodation work? Has anything come up that might pose an undue hardship? Obviously, talk to your legal counsel. If you get a lot of these requests, that's going to be important to make sure that you really understand what the standards are. And remember, the court said to look at factors like your financial resources, if there's any safety implications of uh, the request, how many employees you have, what the court said you don't care about is the impact on other employees. Got to be careful about that. So the fact that somebody else may have to work for Mr. Groff and cover his Sunday shift, you can't take that into account anymore. It's a good idea to keep track of your accommodations. So make sure that you have some sort of a chart so you know what you granted and what you didn't. It's also nice to have your counsel involved so that's privileged. Also make sure you consider that there may be some resentment that comes up for folks who are granted an accommodation and you want to figure out how you can deal with that internally. So you should have a nice plan for how to proactively communicate about an accommodation you're granting and also how to make sure that you deal with the negative feelings or morale that may come as a result. So, Understand, okay, understand that when you're dealing with these issues, 
Reasonable accommodations. This, this is an interactive process. And I mentioned that earlier where you've got to sit down with the employee, figure out what's important. I did one of these for a law firm client the other day. And the applicant who wants to work at the firm has said she doesn't want to be vaccinated. And they have a mandatory vaccination policy. So she's asking for a religious exemption. So I started talking to her. And what she basically told me was, well, I just don't think the vaccination is effective. If I thought it was effective, I'd probably do it. But otherwise, my body is a temple to God. And I don't want to put anything in my body unless it's going to be effective. I get that. But that's not a religious belief. So... What you're looking for when you're identifying these accommodations is what is the conflict between the individual's religious belief, practices, observances, and what you are asking them to do, the work rule that that they want to get an exception to. That's what you're looking at, okay? And you want to be really careful that you keep that in mind, that there needs to be a conflict between that religious observance or practice or belief and that work rule, that thing that you're asking the the individual to do. Now, you may need to change some policies, as I mentioned earlier. You may need to rewrite some things you've already written. You're going to have to train people. I think this is a good thing. Um, for you not to announce to all of your employees. You don't have to say to your employees, oh, it just got harder for us to grant an accommodation. But your HR team, the people who handle human resources in your organization, they need to know that this is a change. I fully expect that the Civil Rights Department here in California will come out with some guidance related to this decision. And we're going to get some more details. But in the meantime, you've got to make sure you look at those policies and you train your people. All right. Religious accommodations are important, folks. You have to treat them as you would any other accommodation, irrespective of your own religious beliefs. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today. It's always such a pleasure. I hope we'll see you again here soon. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and send us any suggestions or comments you may have. We're always open to them, and we appreciate so much your time and energy and letting us know topics you'd like us to cover or things you'd like us to potentially do differently. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction. 